Well, hello again, everyone. This is Nurse Mo, and I am super excited to have you here with me today for the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 183, and we're diving into IV medication safety today. Now, before we do that, because boot camp is on sale right now, you guys, I do want to do a quick listener shout out to Lauren, who has gone through boot camp and says, I feel Crucial Concepts Boot Camp is really preparing me for nursing school so I won't be like a deer in the headlights. It is really helping me to lower my anxiety levels as well. I love hearing all the insights and wisdom from Nurse Mo since I really have no experience in the clinical setting yet. So glad I came across this program. Lauren, I am so glad that you came across Boot Camp as well, and I sincerely hope that it continues to give you that extra boost to help you be an amazing rock star, super successful nursing student. So if you're interested in learning more about Boot Camp, I will put the link in the episode notes. It is on sale right now if you guys are listening to this in real time, on sale right now through the first week or so of January 2022. So I'll get all that information into that link so that you can check it out. Okay, let's dive into IV medication safety. So when it comes to safe medication administration, the stakes are definitely always going to be high, right? Your school is going to be pounding this into you, and it's going to be one of the key safety things that you will have to learn and assimilate and make just a part of who you are. These stakes are even higher when we look at IV medication administration. Not only do medications given by this route take effect quickly, they come with a set of risks all their own. And essentially, you know, once you infuse an IV med, there's no getting it back. Like if you give a PO med, first of all, there's a, you know, a pretty big lag time between the time you give it and the time it takes effect. So there's time to maybe do something about it. You could even, you know, induce vomiting if you needed to get a medication out. You know, the stakes are just so much higher when it's IV medication. They take effect so, so fast. So in this episode, we'll be talking about some key safety factors that come into play with IV medication administration. Now, keep in mind that these are things that are on top of everything else you're doing to ensure safe medication administration, right? You have your five rights or your six rights or whatever your school is teaching. I want you to go a little farther when you're looking at IV medications, okay? Let's do this. One of the first things that I want you to get used to doing, this is a habit that you will be doing as part of your daily head-to-toe assessment with your patient is tracing your lines. It's definitely part of your patient assessment, part of your room safety check. Always, always trace your lines. And what what does this mean exactly? This means that you are looking at every IV bag that is hanging and tracing the IV tubing all the way to your patient. So you're going from the bag to the pump to the patient. And you would be surprised to find IVs that are mislabeled, running at the wrong rate, aren't even connected to the patient, aren't running the medication that you think it's running, all these kinds of things. So your basic tracing follows, again, the bag, the pump, the patient framework. 
So start with the bag. I want you to put eyeballs on it. See what solution or medication is infusing. Check it against the medication order. For example, if I see a bag of normal saline with 20 milliequivalents of potassium hanging, I want to check the medical record to make sure that I do indeed have normal saline with 20 milliequivalents of potassium ordered. Next, I'm going to trace that IV tubing from the bag to the pump and confirm that the pump is programmed with that particular medication or fluid at the prescribed rate. For example, I've got my normal saline with the potassium running at 75 mils an hour. I confirm that the pump is programmed for IV fluids containing potassium and that it's running at 75 mils per hour. Next, I'm going to trace the line from the pump to the patient to ensure, one thing, that it's properly connected. You would be surprised how many times the bed is getting some normal saline with potassium, okay? So always check that it's connected. Things get loose so they can come apart. Sometimes IV tubing will be connected to other IV tubing. We will talk about that type of connection in just a moment. But for now, your basic tracing is complete, okay? The next thing that I would do is I would just take a quick moment to assess that IV site, make sure that it's not leaking, that the dressing is clean, dry, and intact, and that there's no signs of redness, no signs of phlebitis, no signs of infiltration. Okay, I'm looking at my lines. I've traced my lines. Are my lines labeled? If not, I'm going to be labeling my lines. All IV lines should be labeled with the medication or fluid that is running through them. And it is best practice to do this at the port or what we call the Y site closest to the patient. So when someone says Y site, what they're referring to is if you look at IV medication tubing, it will have little ports where you can attach other IV tubings or attach a syringe for an IV push medication. And it kind of, you know, branches off into a little bit of a Y. So we call that the Y site. So most IV tubing is going to have a Y site above where it goes into the pump and then one closer down below towards the patient. We will label the area the Y site closest to the patient with what that medication or fluid is. Why do we do this? In addition to wanting to know what all of your lines are, let's say you've got someone who, or even yourself, and you're giving an IV push medication. If your patient has two IV lines, okay, and say they got two IVs, one in the right arm, one in the left arm, and one is running normal saline, and one is running something else, amiodarone. And you need to come in and give IV push famotidine. Well, I'm pretty sure you'd rather push that in with the line running the normal saline, not in the line running the amiodarone. So unless your line is labeled right there next to the port where the person or you are going to be attaching that syringe and flushing in that IV push medication, it's not super clear which line is available for IV push medications and which ones are running things like 
amiodarone, for instance. So having it labeled right there at the part where somebody would connect other IV tubing or a syringe is really, really good for patient safety. And if there's a code situation and you need to give something quickly, it's really nice to know what's running in your lines. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Y-site compatibility. So now that you kind of understand what a Y-site is, many times your patient will have multiple medications running through the same IV catheter. And we do this by connecting the tubing at that Y-site. So anytime a medication is going to run in with another medication, they have to be compatible. So I love to use Davis Drug Guide, and I use the online version. And if you guys are thinking about getting a drug guide, that one is solid gold. I highly, highly recommend. So if you're listening to this and you have your drug guide handy, pull it up. We can go through this together. If not, just listen, and then you can do it when you get a chance. So let's say you trace your lines and you notice that vancomycin is connected at the Y site, also running amiodarone. You could assume that the nurse that connected those checked the compatibility. If you're going to continue running medications together, you cannot assume that anybody did anything. It is up to you to double check that compatibility, okay? So pull out your Davis drug guide, or if you're at the hospital, they probably have some online tool like the LexiComp drug compatibility checker. Whatever you need to use, pull it up and check to see that those medications are compatible. So if I'm looking in my Davis drug guide, I'm searching for vancomycin, I'm going to click on IV administration. And then as you scroll down, you will see the words Y-site compatibility, followed by a pretty long list of medications that can be run at the Y-site with vancomycin. So scrolling down that list, you see that, yes, one of those is amiodarone. So unless your facility has policy against running compatible meds together in this way, you're generally okay to connect these medications at the Y site. Again, always, always defer to your facility policy, okay? In the critical care setting, patients will often have three or four or sometimes more medications all Y-sided together. And when we have more than two or three, we generally use something called a manifold. You may also hear it called a bridge. Whether your patient has everything just Y-sided together or they're using a manifold or bridge, the compatibility rules still apply, okay? So when you're looking at the compatibility of multiple solutions, especially if, let's say there's four medications all running together, it can be a little bit of a puzzle. So at my hospital, we have this online checker where you put in everything that's running, and then it kind of gives you a table that says what's compatible and what's not compatible. And then you can go through that and figure out, okay, these are the things that I can run together. So Y-site compatibility is not just for those medications that you connect at that port to run together as continuous, you know, IV infusions. It also is going to apply to medications you're running as IV piggybacks. So never assume that what you are hanging as an IV piggyback is compatible with the patient's IV fluids. 
Some medications will interact negatively with a very common IV fluid called lactated ringers. Very, very common maintenance IV infusion. And then you might have a medication that's incompatible with saline solutions and has to be given with something like dextrose, like amphotericin B. So never assume that A, when you go to get an IV piggyback medication, that you're just going to hang it against whatever maintenance fluid is running and everything is fine. That maintenance fluid could be lactated ringers, and it is not compatible with everything, you guys, so you have to absolutely check, okay? And then another reason to check Y-site compatibility is with those IV push medications. If you are pushing into the Y-site... Those solutions have to be compatible. And when you are pushing straight into an IV catheter, you have to be sure that whatever you're flushing the line with is compatible. Again, it's not always normal saline. It usually is, but not always. And if it's a medication you're not familiar with, double, triple check. Okay? All right. Now, what happens to medications that are incompatible? There are three types of medication incompatibility. So chemical incompatibility means that mixing the medications together changes their potency. When a medication loses more than 10% of its potency when mixed with something else, it is considered to be incompatible. Your patient is at risk now for not getting the therapeutic benefit of that medication. And then Physical incompatibility can include cloudiness, gas formation, haziness, and the formation of precipitate. So for example, lactated ringers, which again, super, super common, contains calcium. And this causes a precipitate to form when mixed with many medications. So if you're hanging IV things, you're mixing IV medications and fluids or anything and you ever see anything abnormal in that tubing, stop the infusion immediately and disconnect it from the patient, okay? Medications that go through physical changes can physically harm your patient. So for example, infusing a medication that has formed a precipitate can do more than just make the medication ineffective. It can cause, it can cause small problems like just occluding the catheter but it can also become an embolus that can travel through the patient's body, leading to things like thrombophobitis, organ failure, and even death. So note that another form of incompatibility, hope, are you guys scared? Don't be scared because you're going to be super careful. Another form of incompatibility occurs therapeutically when medications that are not compatible or that antagonize one another are administered at the same time or close to the same time. Note that with this, we're not necessarily talking about medications that were given through the same line or mixed in the same bag, but simply given at the same time or close to it. This is called therapeutic incompatibility. So for example, the medication chloramphenicol, I hope I'm saying that right, chloramphenicol should be given at least an hour after penicillin for this reason, because they're therapeutically incompatible, okay? All right, you guys, now let's talk about the right rate. 
So your IV infusions will be programmed on your pump to go at a certain rate, or you'll have calculated out the drops per minute. Your IV push medications are given at the rate that you physically push it. Many medications will have a dose limit per minute, such as phenytoin, which is typically not to exceed 25 milligrams given over each minute. Other medications may simply be in your medication record to give slow IV push, while others may specify a time frame, such as two to three minutes, or like adenosine, which is given fast IV push. Always check the medication administration record or your drug guide for information about how fast or slow to give IV medications, especially ones you're not incredibly, incredibly familiar with, okay? All right, how about the equipment that we're using? IV medication safety means making sure you are using the proper equipment. So one of those things is specialized tubing, So some medications should not have anything Y-sided into them, and for this reason, we use specialized tubing that has no Y-sight connectors. A great example of this is PCA tubing for patient-controlled analgesia. Another type of specialized tubing is nitroglycerin tubing. Nitroglycerin can be absorbed into standard IV tubing, So most facilities will use something they call nitro tubing, which is a special non-PVC infusion set. And then a lot of times the nitro tubing will not have any Y-site connections on it either. They just want you running the nitro by itself. Don't put it in with anything else. And then another type of tubing that you might want to use that is specialized is for blood transfusions. The blood transfusion tubing has two spikes on it, one for the blood product and one for the normal saline flush that goes with that. The blood tubing also has a filter. So again, different types of IV tubing for different types of purposes. What about inline filters? Some medications will need to be run through a filter before infusing into the patient. There are different types of filters based on the size of the particles that are present. So your medication administration record should tell you which filter size to use. And if your facility is super organized, the pharmacy sends that medication to you with the filter, which is really nice. Amiodarone is an example of a common medication infused with a 0.2 or 0.22 micron filter. Again, sometimes the filters will be attached right there with the medication if your pharmacy supplies it that way. Sometimes you just have to know which filter to go find and get, which is just another thing to know and another reason to always look at medications you're not very, very familiar with. So sometimes the filters look like little um, spaceships. Um, They're kind of like little round things. Purple or green are common colors depending on the size of, again, what size of filter it is. Sometimes it's just part of the IV tubing itself, which makes it look more like a flat rectangle disc type thing. So the point is, anytime you see anything extra attached with your IV tubing, it could possibly be a filter, whether it's part of the tubing itself or um, attached to the tubing before the medication gets to the patient, Okay. Check out, see what it is, good chance it's a filter. And then speaking of filters, we also have filter needles, 
So some medications will be in a glass ampule, and you will use a filter to ensure that no glass particles get into the syringe as you drop that medication. So digoxin, great example of a medication that comes in a glass ampule. You will snap off the glass ampule top and then use a filter needle to draw up the medication. And then any glass particles will get filtered by your needle so they don't get into the syringe. And then you take off that filter needle, cap your syringe, and then you can go and safely give your medication to your patient. Okay, a little bit more about equipment is that you want to make sure that it is functional if you're using IV pumps. It's great to know That IV pumps, while they can be great at allowing us to deliver very precise doses of fluids and medications, they are not foolproof. They can fail. There have been instances of IV pumps delivering medications at the wrong rate, maybe too fast, maybe too slow. In some cases, the Medication just free flows into the patient, which is very, very, very dangerous. That can result in patient harm, patient death, of course, depending on what that medication is. For this reason, a lot of times you will see hospitals using something called a Volutrol, which is like a volume control device. Hard to explain on a podcast, but if you see your IV tubing, okay, And then below that, a cylinder that's about 10 inches long, that's a volutrol. And it's basically a volume control mechanism that essentially takes a small amount of fluid from your IV bag and instills it from this smaller volume in the volutrol. And the idea here is it's used a lot in pediatrics, in the neonatal intensive care unit, where Too much volume, even just too much volume of fluid can be highly detrimental, especially to those tiny little neonates. So you want to have very, very careful control over the volumes. And so you don't want to just hang a 100 mil bag of something. You hang that 100 mil bag, but you attach a volutrol to it, and then you put a little bit of fluid into the volutrol. You clamp off the connection between the IV bag and the volutrol. So nothing's flowing into the volutrol. And then your infusion comes through the volutrol. So it's pulling from that much smaller amount. It's just another layer of safety. So you may see that as well. The reason we use them at our hospital is because the pumps we were using were honestly not super reliable, but it really is good practice to use these because any pump, you can't assume that any pump is always going to work exactly as prescribed, though they do go through safety checks regularly. Something like a volutrol can help control um, Even if the rate isn't right and it did free flow into the patient, the volume would be controlled and it would only get a much smaller volume versus the entire bag, right? So functional equipment and using safety measures like a Volutrol may be something that you see. Anyway, whenever you hang a medication infused through an IV pump, you want to do a quick safety check. So make sure all components of the pump are working correctly. Does the door close properly, etc.? Ensure that the tubing is sitting correctly within the pump mechanism and you will get training on how to do this. Ensure the channel is securely attached to that brain portion of the pump. Just all the components, whatever they may be, Make sure everything's working. Take that moment to check. And then once you start your medication, what I like to do is wait 
take that minute, right? Wait and watch the infusion as it begins to run and look to see that the rate that it's coming out of the bag correlates with the rate programmed into the pump. So for example, if I've set my pump at 25 mils an hour, I know it's going to be dripping pretty slow. And if I see that medication just going gangbusters, then I know that it's dripping way too rapidly and I can stop it. Something's going wrong with this. Um, I also just want to make sure that it functions at all. So I program it, I start it, I check to make sure that it infuses, okay? You'd be surprised how many times you haven't unclamped the roller clamp and you hang your IV piggyback of antibiotics and go on about your merry way and then come back an hour later and your antibiotic bag is still full and it's because the roller clamp is still clamped. But if you stop and you stand there and you watch to wait for those first few drips, if they didn't show up, you'd be like, hmm, what's going on? Oh, look, my roller clamp is still rolled. And then you would unroll it, then see the dripping, and then you know that your patient's getting their medication. Okay, so I hope that those IV medication safety tips help you guys. I didn't do it to scare you guys. I just want you to know that there's a lot of things to be thinking about with your IV medication safety. And to be honest, there are probably more But these are the general things that I deal with kind of on a daily basis. I hope that it helps you understand the seriousness of what you're doing, but also feel a little bit more confident in working with IV medications at the bedside. So if you want some more tips on safe medication administration, I want you to download my free guide called Bulletproof Medication Administration. I will link to that in the episode notes. So again, boot camp is on sale right now if you guys are listening to this when the episode comes out. So link to that in the episode notes. And on the second, so in just a few days, we're doing a lot more episodes right now while the boot camp is on sale just to kind of celebrate that and be excited with you guys. So the next episode is coming out on December 2nd in just a few days. And I'm excited about this one. It is eight online tools for nursing students. So if you want to check out eight online tools that can help you be more successful in nursing school, then I'll see you again in a few days. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.